can't stay. But baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go away. But baby, it's cold outside. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hey, you. you hey, friend. Hey, 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 hey buddy. Howdy, you're listening friends. to the Boy Hattie Podcast. For some GD reason, you're listening to our dumb, terrible podcast. I'm Annie. I'm Bill. We're here to talk to you about some pop culture garbage and things we did this week and some whatnot bullshit. and all these things that are relevant to your interests and mine. Uh, my Welcome wife's going to open the door. scowl of a podcast. And let in my screaming kitty. Let her, I, I closed the door so she's going to come in. <laughs> let me know that I never sidetracked the podcast with uh, cat talk. Uh-huh. That's never my thing. Uh, do, do you appreciate my cosplay today in honor of the movie we're going to be talking about this week? I've got my Snowpiercer cosplay on. Do I look just like uh, Captain America with my little skull cap? Although mine has the little uh, Zelda logo on it. But. Did you really think that just having vague facial hair and a toque yeah! makes you... Uh, what was his name even? Curtis from Snowpiercer? Yeah, no, I do live with an Asian guy. If we can get him and his daughter to like... Uh, That's to... literally, literally all it takes, my friends. He is addicted to Kronal. <laughs> or is he? Bum, bum, bum. And by Kronal, I mean Lego, but that's a whole other mm. story. So, yeah, so speaking of addicted to Lego, uh, this Friday we took Bill on an expedition. That's right, we took him out to <sighs> Bricks and Minifigs in Phoenix. That was the best too because this was not like an, we, we, this this was not a planned trip. This was out of the blue. Like I was ready to sit down and start doing work on Friday, and then like right around lunchtime you're like, "Hey, Bill, let's go on a trip. Let's go to buy some Legos." I was like, "Oh shit, that was great. Yeah. It was very, it was a very cute time." Yeah, Foley was telling me about how, oh, you know, I'm going to clean the grill, and I'm going to do some weeding, and I'm going to mow yeah, the yard Yeah, she's actually going to get some this. shit done, yeah. And I just looked at her and said, or we could go to break some minifigs and take Bill with us. Which is funny, because so right. Foley's not a Lego person, so it's not like, she was she well, was essentially just kind of chaperoning us. She she also enjoys Lego. In fact, we spent equal amounts of money on Lego while we were there, because I got a, oh, yeah, I think about that. a random bag of Lego, and she got a garage, uh, should be a garbage uh, van thing <laughs> for her desk at work. Oh, that's right. She got the whole, she got from the Lego movie, what's like the, the little, uh, the manager guys, oh, garbage managers. Van. Yeah. Well, no, but <laughs> it's a garbage I, van. I think the big thing she liked it so much because it had a new micromanager. Because she's kind of like a manager it, at work. All of the well, no, she has she has a micromanager at her desk at work now she already. Has two. Now she has two, yeah. and uh, but she also just like the garbage van. It's a nice little kit, so she had a good time. Oh yeah. So wait, so is it like a flying garbage van? Is that what it is? Well, it's a Lego has some sets that are um, multi sets where you can build multiple things. Obviously, it's Lego and you can build infinite things, but they'll so it's include... kind of like a transformer. You could, you could build either or. Like, well, like, yeah, it's like a, they'll build oh, okay. you. Can, they'll give you instructions for either. So you can either build a flying weird garbage truck thing or just a standard garbage truck. So she built a standard garbage truck. <laughs> Why would you not want to build a flying garbage truck? She because she loves garbage trucks, and it was just a really good garbage truck figure. Foley, you know what? Ron loves Twizzlers. That's right, Bill. Foley loves garbage trucks. Bill, tell us about what you purchased at I dropped so many hundred fucking dollars. It's easy to do. This is a total impulse buy. Like I said, we I had no idea that we were going to go to this goddamn store. Uh, for pe- uh, listeners of the podcast, we talked. This is the same shop we talked about last week. Uh, it's a local place called yeah, local place here in Portland called Bricks and Minifigures, and they do sell mostly it's new Lego stuff, but they do have. A big display case, like a long display case full of uh, pre-built used Lego kits that people, I guess, they build them and they get tired of them and they just bring them into the shop and sell them to the shop and you can buy them back from the shop. Like they had that, like leg, like full, like big Millennium Falcon 
there. Like, you buy it pre-built with all the little minifigures and everything for 100 bucks, Which I think that's... I think the actual, like, to buy brand new is like $200. And if you want to cheat... And cheat. they also had... They also had a lot of discontinued sets. Yeah, and exactly. Like, stuff like stuff that. That well, also, they way. also had had a display case that's full of stuff like made from the ground up by other people. So it was, you know, it's it was not, really but cute. But that was a display case. They weren't selling that stuff. Like you know, they had a giant like uh, Doctor Who TARDIS, and they had this whole crazy Batcave thing. And, yeah. And uh, but they do it's sell. It's adorable. Like you mentioned last week, I know this. Uh, apologies in advance to anyone who already heard Andy talk about this last week, but this is the first time I've managed to see this for myself. Yeah, but they do have a, a couple big tables just filled with. Uh, random Lego pieces that you can essentially just yeah you could fill up either like like a little plastic uh, tub or a big plastic bag and essentially like whatever you can fill that plastic bag or tub with you can and depending on the size of the plastic bag or tub you, you know, they charge you like like twenty bucks or something like that so you can take all these as many random pieces as you can squeeze into those uh, bags which I did I got more for uh, more bits and bobs for Benton my sobriety Lego Western town so. yeah you were specifically just looking for all these brown and gray pieces too yeah which is kind of cute yeah. I've got and, I've got a uh, mission, my friend. Well, the best. But thing Bill, tell like... us about what you purchased. So what I purchased was the best thing. So they actually uh, like they have like little. Well, one of the big things with Lego sets is a lot of Lego sets have. Um, they have uh, exclusive like little minifigures that only come with very specific sets, and so what this place does. I guess when they people sell back old sets, they'll take the little minifigures out and sell them separately. And so they have a whole bunch of minifigures they can just sell by themselves that you otherwise would have to spend like you know hundred dollars to buy a whole big you know like say there might be a special Han Solo that only comes with the Millennium Falcon. These guys that will actually just sell that Han Solo. It'll be like ten dollars, but you know if mm-hmm. you just want that Han Solo, they usually sell it for cheaper than if you were to buy it on eBay. Well, so. and then I didn't realize until uh, last week that uh, podcast uh, listener Grumpy Turtle he had mentioned to me that there was a whole line of series of simpsons blind box lego figures out mm-hmm. there yeah where and rather than just even just buying the buying the simpsons figures by themselves they're in blind boxes so you have to like you know, it's always a gamble which one you're going to get which i never even heard about that until he started uh tweeting at me about them and so we go to the store and of course they have a little big display case of all these blind box lego simpsons uh stuff and so i bought like a hundred dollars on well i've got like ned flanders and Krusty the clown and all kinds of crazy shit. I've got like Mr. Burns and Millhouse and Ralph Wiggum, and I did that. And I got a couple Lego movies figures. I've got uh, Emmett and a whole bunch of Star Wars stuff too. But yeah, I got yeah. about like ten or like twelve or fifteen Lego mini figures, and that cost me about a hundred dollars. Dude, let's not talk about how much money I've spent on Benton. It oh, is no, easily... no, no, but it just say, but especially for this to be Lego, like, don't take long, my friend. Well, especially this being like an impulse buy, a hundred dollars, yeah. and especially when you like, you can't like, especially they sell them in these little Coke baggies, and so like walking around with like a hundred dollars worth of plastic in these tiny little Coke baggies, it really does feel like a drug experience. It's oh great. my goodness, they're awesome. It's so cool. Yeah. So yes, we had a lot of fun at Bricks and Minifigs. The other driving trip that I made fully go on this weekend was yeah. we drove down to Ashland, Oregon, down in Southern Oregon, right towards the California border. border. Oh, and, it's that uh, south. I didn't realize it was yeah, that. It's about a four and a half hour drive okay. to and from. Uh, so uh, drove down to Ashland to see Taking Some Shakespeare. That's the home of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in scenic Ashland, Oregon. Beautiful town. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to the um, Allen Elizabethan, Elizabethan Theater, which is designed to kind of look like the Globe. Really? It's an outdoor theater. Uh, our performance started at 8, so we drove. We slept down. We were in the car for about five Did you hours. Did it rained on them? Because no. here in Portland, Bill, it's been it was, raining all morning. It was 100 degrees. Uh, <laughs> 
we did not really I mean I did this was a very much so an impulse trip and I'd never been there before and though I know people who have gone I hadn't really talked with the experience yeah. so I didn't really know it was a an outdoor theater and B, I did not really know the dress code. Uh-huh. So Foley and I kind of dressed up like you do for theater, not knowing that I was going to be sitting next to a dude in uh, a tank top, shorts, and flip flops. It's a much more of a little white button down shirts or something like that. Oh fuck no! It was people in like fucking. No, I'm talking crappy. about how you guys were dressed. Oh no, no, I wore a dress and shit and nice shoes and oh, Foley wow. wore her yeah, suit okay. pants and a nice button up shirt and shit. And so like... you guys were opera people at the barnyard as opposed to the opposite thing, which well, like you know I was you... dressed like you dressed to go see goddamn theater. Well, the, not the, the, like the, the saying is like you feel like the farmer at the opera or at the you know at the you know, but you guys were the opposite. You guys were like outclassing everybody. Exactly. That was yeah. it. Uh, which was is trickier. Poor Foley. She had her wool suit pants on in 100 degree weather. So Oof. she was a champ. But uh, yeah, the production Oof. of Two, Two Gentlemen of Verona we saw was an all-female production. And the costuming was really interesting. It reminded me a lot. you say bullshit? No, it was actually really cool. Um, it reminded me a lot of if Jen Manley Lee, friend of the podcast Jen Manley Lee, who does the comic um, Dice Box, mm-hmm. had been asked to design it. Um, ba- essentially, the concept was they um, uh, originally Shakespeare's plays were performed by an all male cast. So this yeah. they tried to turn it on their ear by doing an all female cast, and they decided to stress the fact that Elizabethan male clothing, by modern standards, is kind of feminine looking. Like there's all the tight hose and like emphasis kind on like poofy narrow and hips. Yeah, and you know, like kind of yeah, figure defining stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, so they kind of conflated Elizabethan fashion with high fashion, modern high fashion. And it was very, it was very interesting and very cool. It was a, a neat little production. Uh, Two Gentlemen Rona, never seen it before, is a shitty play. It was a really bad Let me play. Guess. There's, there's love triangles and love quadrangles and nope. people getting the work. Really? Uh, there's a t- sort of a love triangle. It's a weird. falling in love with like multiple other people and. S, like you know, like like. Uh, there's one person who escapades. falls in love with another person. It's what's most interesting about it is that the villain is the hero. What? It's kind of a weird thing. Um, the protagonist Proteus is a really intensely unlikable character uh-huh. uh, who uh, falls in love with his best friend's girl, and then decides he's going to steal his best friend's girl to fight, despite the fact that he Proteus has already declared love for someone else. And before he goes to woo his best friend's girl, says, "You know what? She probably won't like me, and she'll think." Me and constant and disloyal because I'm kind of betraying my best friend and betraying my sworn true love. But whatever, I'll figure it out. And then she proceeds to hate him for exactly that reason. Does not figure it out. Does not work out for him. Until the climax of the play, where he attempts to force himself on his best friend's girl, mm-hmm. uh, is narrowly prevented from doing so by his best friend, she forgives them and they all live happily ever after. How were the actresses? They were all astonishing. They were doing a really good job. It was a really a lot of fun. It's a it's a goofy show. Man, and, I think uh, it sucks for you in the audience. Imagine from being up on that stage for like three hours in those like uh, those, those outfits. Uh, you could feel the fans blowing from backstage. They oh, were yeah. really uh, and they were very clearly the costumes were designed knowing that it was an outdoor theater. Well, exactly. So yeah, you was... know if you're going to be on stage in Oregon in the middle of July, it's going to be a little toasty. Yeah, it's, it was a, all light clothing and light fabrics, and but it was the yeah, this cast was really really good. You know, the only way that show works is if the person playing Proteus is very charismatic and charming yeah. and young, because basically the whole point so... is that he's young and stupid and doesn't know any better. Did you guys just go for two? Gentlemen of Verona, just because it was what was available on your weekend. 
Uh, I went looking at tickets because I was in the mood to go see some more Shakespeare after we'd seen such a good show up in uh, Stratford yeah. um, to see their Shakespeare festival. So I was just looking at all the shows. And I was like, Richard III, nah, I don't really want to drive that far. But when I saw that Two Gentlemen of Verona is an all-female production, I thought, okay, why not? Kind of and I, yeah. I looked at the tickets that were available for... Um, the next coming weekend, and there were two front row center seats available. Ooh, that's like, nice, yeah. The entire theater was full, except for these two front row it, center seats. It's just funny that you went to go see Shakespeare, and, like, the weakest part of the whole experience was actually the Shakespeare part. Yeah, it was really, I mean, That's know. usually not the, not the uh, biggest usual... Uh, potential point of failure. Usually, you know, the plays are pretty solid. Oh, baby girl, it depends on what Shakespeare you go see. It's like the about. last, the before before this show, I went to go see the um, the last Shakespeare I'd seen was Cymbeline, mm-hmm. which is one of the last plays he ever wrote and is also a big old stinker. Though that production very much so salvaged it, very much so. So anyway, I saw some Willie Shakes. It was a lot of fun. Almost killed my poor wife by making her drive in a hundred degree heat and in you a black get a car. You For get a five hours. Oh. Yeah. My wife is a trooper. She's a champ. Yeah. So God bless Foley. She and yeah, then today this was in the last drive night, back. And you guys just got back. We're recording. It's almost yeah. eight o'clock PM. I like literally, the night after you guys actually watched this, yeah. I literally got out of the car, snarfed a sandwich, and got hopped on the computer to record this. Yeah. So, oh. yeah, poor Foley. She drove for five hours yesterday. We got there uh, with enough time to eat dinner, saw a show, crashed our hotel, woke up, drove home. Well, even so. though well, that was Saturday, and even on Friday, like, Foley wound up driving us, like, an hour and a half uh, you know, out of town, an hour and a half back just to get to the goddamn you, Lego she's shop, a champ. So. Though today, on the way back in, we, we got going early enough that we were able to be a little more leisurely. And I said, Foley, can we please stop at the Oregon mystery spot? This, there's this, this place called the Oregon Vortex. I'm pretty sure it's OregonVortex.org. Oh, see, this is like pretty... Mystery spots are pretty old school roadside attractions. Yeah. In fact, the way that I first became familiar with the concept of the mystery spot or like the vortex mm-hmm. is actually in the LucasArts adventure game, Sam and Max Hit the Road. Yeah. Is one of the places they stop at is this fictional mystery spot in Washington. Yeah, but I saw you not... tweeting at Jade, or Jake Rodkin and he tweeted back at you at a map from the game and it shows like, yeah, yeah like the Oregon is represented on that map by just like fucking vortex. So what it's, is the vortex? A, um, it's basically a magnetic anomaly. It's this location that was uh, before, long before asshole white people barged in, uh, the natives actually avoided the area and called it the Forbidden Area, mm-hmm. beca- the Forbidden Grounds, because their horses were too scared to go there. The co- horses weren't comfortable there. Oh, weird. Yeah. And um, dogs don't like it there, and uh, it's and uh, birds don't tend to nest there. It's a strange, strange, it's always been this strange area. And then they... Uh, like donkeys wouldn't go there or anything like that. Eventually, they discovered gold in it, and they decided to go for it anyway. But uh, it turns out that there's some sort of magnetic anomaly, and there's still there's still there's some theories as to what's going on. But there's nothing too sure. But um, essentially, light there warps, and your perception is slightly off. And so there are all these places where this is the, like this is the Oregonian vortex. This is the Oregon Vortex. There are, like, you'd be standing there, and there are two posts with a level uh, level uh, area between them. And she'll yeah. put out the level, and there's this, the center area is level. Each post is level. And each post, you can measure with a measuring tape, each post is seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. But your perception of them is that one post is about three to four inches taller than the other post. Huh. 
And if you stand, if you have two people stand with their backs to this post and watch them as they exchange places, one seems to become shorter while the other seems to become taller. Okay, that's pretty fucked up. And basically, your uh, your perception of what uh, is like there's this uh, there's this whole like crooked house, which is kind of ridiculous. It's yeah, so a, I saw a photo it's, of that. Yeah, what the hell happened there? It's an old mine. It was part of the mining assembly, and it it fell downhill during the storm. Okay, and it's so it's a basically an extremely it's a crooked house. But since it's a house that's already all wonky and out of proportion, it kind of skews your your house uh, even skews even further your sense of proportion. So you'll stand yeah, in it looks one like end of the house like a, a, a Tim Burton set or something. Yeah, yeah, because well, it looks like a house that, that just been shifted like forty five degrees on its side. Yeah, when you're in this house, all of your sense of perception and gravity. Wait, you can go and inside the house. What is straight. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's part of the tour. You go inside oh, that's the house. Fucked up. I thought it was just like, and, you know, like something where like, this is cool. We're not going to demolish it. But we're obviously not going to let people into this house that's falling over. When when you're inside this Jesus. house, there's this one area that seems to be a ramp going upwards. Yeah. And, uh, but the tour guide like puts a bottle on the ground and rolls it down the ramp. But in fact, rolling quote unquote down is in fact rolling up and the bottle rolls back towards her. <laughs> it's like all, it's a weird, it's That's a weird, cool. weird place. So, and so what did Sam and Max, did they actually represent, did they actually show the vortex in the, in the game? Or yes. is it just something it's, on the map? I mean, it's, it's a goof. Oh, it's okay, like, yeah. it's a, it's an environment, but it's, it's builders floating furniture. It's not <laughs> quite based a hundred percent on reality. <laughs> this is also in a game where you can go bungee jumping out the noses and, uh, Mount Rushmore on booger colored bungee cords. <laughs> so it's not I've quite. I've actually seen this place in real life though, despite like I, it appearing in one of your favorite video games of all time. Foley is, uh, she always tends to drive, and when we're driving, she's very focused, and she wants to get to our destination, so yeah. we rarely stop at tourist attractions. But at this time, I just looked at her with heart full of hope, it's like, Foley, can we go to the Oregon Vortex? And this is the perfect, actually, uh, attraction for her, because it was kind of weird science. Like, it's very strange from a scientific perspective. Have you ever thought about taking a road trip to visit all the places in Fallout New Vegas in real life? Fuck no! Not? I'm not gonna go. Have you seen no all bill. the locations that are actually like? I didn't realize so much like that the stuff in that game is actually based off of real, like very specific. Like, what's the first town you run into? Like, a, giant chunks of that town actually exist in real life as the, as as they're depicted in the game. I was really well. That's super how surprised. That's how all the Fallout games are. Really? All the Fallout games are very deliberately based in real America. Well, I figured, Bill, well, I mean, you, you expect stuff like that with, like, Washington, you know, monuments and stuff like that, but, like, a little town out in the middle of fucking nowhere? That's, that's how Fallout works, my friend. Yeah, it's like based the in the first our bar world. you visit. I mean, that's a place in real life that you can go, I mm -hmm. think they changed the name of it, but, you know, it's a place that it actually exists. That's what they do, my friend. Yeah. That's what it's about. It's Fallout. Anyway, went to a vortex, uh... It's weird because your inner ear does get all fucked up there. Mm -hmm. well, I have severe vertigo and dizziness anyway in my life. And it was so funny because Foley was just wandering around and looking all confused and like headachy. And I'm like, now you know how I feel every goddamn day. Aww. So anyway, it was a lot of fun. I got a t-shirt. So I had a authentic Oregon road trip experience. Is the t-shirt badass? No, it's terrible. It's just it's had, like a picture of a vortex with like the words like Oregon vortex, like it's being it's, sucked into the vortex, like in big cartoony letters. It's oh, Bill, I'm sure it's a design that is fundamentally unchanged since like 1972. No. Oh, that's actually no, that's got merits too. 
It's it's the donkey redonkulous thing. I mean, thing, you gotta so. love like roadside bullshit like that. Yeah, exactly. Even if it's, it's old timey bullshit. Well, especially if it's old timey bullshit. What the fuck am I talking? Bill, about? tell me about the kingdom of dreams and madness so, and the wind rises. The kingdom uh, of dreams and madness. This is a documentary uh, about uh, Studio Ghibli. I had never heard about this hmm. until just a couple days ago. Uh, I guess uh, in 2014, some. I, I think they're German documentary people decided to they were going to film uh, Hayao Miyazaki as he's directing The Wind Rises, which turned out to be his last animated film. And so it's a fly-in-the-wall documentary just tracking everything that he's doing for like the last six months of de- development for this film. And it's it's just really interesting just to... It's not super action-packed. I mean, it's mostly just following him around like at work and at home and just talking about his philosophy of like storytelling and filmmaking and stuff like that. So it's not like... There's crazy stuff like, oh my god, the film's falling apart. What are we going to do to get it finished in time? There's not yeah. much of that stuff, but it's just, um, it's really just interesting if you're an animation fan and a Miyazaki specifically yeah. fan. It's yeah. just really cool to see. And especially, like I said, with his last feature film. And the, the, the one thing that's kind of a dramatic thing in the movie is while he's making The Wind Rises... Uh, the other guy who pretty much directed all the Studio Ghibli movies that Miyazaki didn't direct, uh, this guy named uh, Takahata, uh, he was a co-founder of Studio Ghibli along with Miyazaki and uh, this third guy who's a producer, so essentially oversees the production of both their movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this other guy, uh, the movie starts off with um, the studio announcing that both of these guys, these directors, Miyazaki and this other guy, Takahata, they're, they're going to be releasing these two films simultaneously. And it's going right. to be the first two films that these guys have put out at the same time since uh, My Neighbor Totoro and Grave of the Fireflies like 25 years ago. Which is funny because I think one of our first podcasts, yeah. that was one of the first pieces of Geek D Week news and review we, we mentioned was the results of this, this, this uh, press conference. And so the yeah. movie starts off with that press conference, but behind the scenes you see that the producers already know that the other guy, not Miyazaki, but the other guy making his movie is way behind and there's no chance in hell he's actually going to make that release date along with Miyazaki's movie. And so mm-hmm. the movie kind of jumps back and forth between Miyazaki just finishing up his own movie while talking to the producer who's trying to wrestle with this other director you don't see for most of the movie with his film as he's falling behind and Miyazaki being super cranky about this other director uh, mm-hmm. essentially dragging his feet with his movie. And it's fun to see Miyazaki being a super catty bitch <laughs> Yeah, this other guy. Um, which is funny because this other guy, he's actually older than Miyazaki. He's the guy who essentially discovered Miyazaki and kind of like helped Miyazaki build his career. And so Miyazaki actually kind of owes a huge debt to this guy, but it's funny to see him being so catty to this uh, this other, you know, co-founder of the studio. But yeah. the big emotional highlight is after they have the uh, crew screening at, at, at the Studio Ghibli for The Wind Rises, uh, mm-hmm. finally you get to see uh, Miyazaki and his producer go up onto the rooftop, which the rooftop of Studio Ghibli is actually, it's all like, a, it's, it's, it's kind of paved, but it has little gardens and stuff like that. And yeah. finally, the the other director comes up and to congratulate Miyazaki, and you actually get to see three of these guys at the same time for the first time in the film, which right this coming right after this the, the this crew screening for Miyazaki's last movie he's ever going to direct in this place really hit mm-hmm. me emotionally because these these are yeah. three guys who founded the studio, and this yeah. is the last time you're ever going to see these guys together like this right after you know. And I guess right after all this happened, uh, Takahato, he also announced that the film that he was working on that, you know, was delayed and everything like that, that kind of got fucked up. That's also his. He's going to retire after oh, that, jeez. Yeah. And so it turns out, yeah, both those guys, uh, two of the three founders, 
retired right after the making of this documentary. Huh. And that the third guy, the producer, he uh, he still works at um, Studio Ghibli, but instead of uh, being a, just an on-hands uh, film producer, he's just like a general manager of the studio now. Hmm. And uh, it's a really cool documentary. Like I said, it's really quiet and slow, but it's one of those things where watching the documentary and seeing these it's 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 it is kind of weird because it's like documenting the passing of an age at the studio mm-hmm. because it, like i said it's about these last these guys essentially wrapping up their last films that they're ever going to make right. and at the end it mentions that these guys are both retired right after the documentary was made and so what i decided to do i actually sent off a letter to the producer guy the day after yeah. i finished watching this uh, just because, you know, you could, you could easily find Studio Ghibli's address on the internet. Just saying, hey, thank you for everything that you guys have made. And so, yeah. it's not really a letter. It's just a drawing of me essentially gifting this little drawing to uh, the producer, Suzuki, uh, yeah. standing on the rooftop of Studio Ghibli. And off, not no longer standing on the rooftop of Studio Ghibli, but off to the side are, like, Miyazaki and this other guy, Takahata. But, yeah. I, you know, the big text at the top is just saying, hey, guys, thank you so much for everything you've ever made. And I'm it, like, it's it's a cute little doodle. And who knows yeah. if they'll ever get it or it'll probably just get lost in the mail. No one will ever see it. But I just it's one of those things where yeah. you realize that it's while these people are actually alive and out there, it's worth extending just like a little bit of a thank you. If, if, if Exactly. You know, yeah. Once these people no, are gone, showing... it's kind of too late to do anything about that. So. Exactly. It's always worthwhile to show gratitude to the people who do good things. Yeah. And that's that's something actually with the the advent of the internet and especially with like Twitter. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's nice to have that avenue even if your message is likely to get lost in the shuffle and everything to say, if sure. you really enjoyed something, you could actually just throw out a tweet or even an email. If you can find someone's email, just saying, Hey, you don't know me from Adam. You don't know me from anyone else, but I just saw this thing. I really liked it a whole lot. Just thanks. And that's it. You know, not, not to, you know, the, turn, the you know, internet clingy or weird about it or anything like that, but sure. I don't know. Well, you know, the internet is such an avenue of filth and shame and beshittery. Mm-hmm. Every time I've ever reached out to someone of whom I, who, of whose work or personality I'm fond to say as much, it's you know it's something that's always appreciated. And I, God knows that it always means a huge amount to me whenever I get an email from a delightful member of the Boy Howdy Nation or the Ladylike Nation uh, saying thank you or even just saying, hey, I enjoy your podcast. It means the world. So people like to be nice. So good for you, Bill, for being nice to people that yeah. you like. And so like, like I've made that kind of a thing in my life recently is yeah. when I enjoy something and if I've, I've I have the means yeah. to get in touch with that person just yeah. to say hey thanks yeah not to be like you know like i said oh well, there's the other opposite end too where people get a little too clingy and try to make yeah. like get upset when like you know whoever they're trying to get in touch with don't get in touch with them back and mm-hmm. you know say thank you for saying thank you and stuff like you don't want to be yeah. like that person either no but i don't know no. it's nice to th- it's like a gesture a gesture without expectation of return is yeah it's nice. nice to shoot like an arrow of gratitude into the darkness yeah, the fate and yeah. the slim chance of even see it, regardless if they ever get back in touch with you or anything. Else. Just say hey, thanks. This yeah. is a good thing. You you've added to the sum of the world. It's a good thing. So that's right. that's what I did with uh, Toshiro Suzuki, the producer of Studio Ghibli, who now runs the joint. So we'll see. Good on you, Mister Mudrin. So. so I take it you also saw Snowpiercer. Yeah. Oh well, the, well, I saw the Wind Rises too, as a result of that, because you know the whole that that whole documentary is about the Wind Rises. Wind Rising, uh, the Wind Rises is actually not very good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible oh, thing. Well. Uh, the, uh, I'm not going to go into a big review about The Wind Rises, but The Wind Rises is really weird because for the first half of the film, most of the movie sound effects are done by people making noises with their mouth. Oh, really? And, like, there's a giant earthquake scene, and so it's all people going... 
And it's just really fucking weird. And I'm not quite sure what Miyazaki was thinking. Uh, it's, it's so the wind rises is all about this guy who's trying to invent, uh, really cool airplanes. And eventually he ends ends up uh, designing the best dogfighting airplane of world war two. But up until the point where he uh, designs the super cool airplane, all the sound effects are all the other airplanes. And like I said, not even airplanes, but like the wind and trees and trains, it's all like, so I don't know if he's trying to like, trying to like make everything like trying to make like the invention of these airplanes such a watershed moment that like everything that came before it kind of sounded like really old fashioned and kind of like underpowered mm. and weird by you know and his way of suggesting that is by people actually making sounds for all the sound effects that accompany the, those things or i don't know it's just the weirdest it's really distracting hmm. and the music is kind of it's in in scenes where the music should be dramatic it's kind of like really kind of frilly and kind of like ah it's the it's it, it just doesn't quite hit the right notes for you. Especially for an animated film shows how much a couple basic sound design choices can kind of mm-hmm. unravel your whole goddamn movie. Especially this this movie is one of the more dramatic um, movies that Miyazaki has ever made because there's all dramatic death scenes and shit like that. So like, well, Whoa, there's, I mean, bad or weird sound can undermine any project, yeah. be it a podcast. <laughs> I know, exactly. Or exactly. like our terrible podcast that I don't know why y'all listen to. I tried to listen to last week's episode. It was all me clattering and shit. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, why didn't I really listen? But, or yeah, like, so you know, anyways, yeah, to a movie, you do anything. Yeah, it's like, so yes, Snowpiercer. Uh, now, uh, proceed spoilers for Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer was ridiculous fun. I don't, I don't have to talk spoilers, but I can say it's ridiculous fun. This is a dumb, cute. fun movie. Yeah. Costuming design was really good. What cracked me up about uh, the movie opens with Chris Evan, Evans and his sidekick uh, Jamie Bell. And in that moment, I uh, was like, holy shit, this looks like if Bill and Foley had teamed up to design (laughs) two protagonists for a post-apocalyptic film, here's Jamie Bell with his big ears and his mook expression and a little bit of stubble, and then there's Chris Evans uh, with just broad shoulders and this beard and his toque and everything. It was like... So is that the Foley character and, and the Bill character is the other guy? Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. Uh, Snowpiercer yeah. is ridiculous fun. I saw it on the big screen. I, ha- I recommend seeing it on the big screen. It I is weird on, Bioshock I, fan it's on fiction. ITunes, so I just saw it through there, and I kind of regret yeah. not seeing it on the big screen because it seems like yeah. it kind of loses a little something. Because it yeah, it was great. Yeah. No, Foley and I really we went to go see it in the theater, and it was a lot of fun. Foley, do you have any thoughts on Snowpiercer? Make it snappy. Jamie Bell. Yeah, Jamie Bell's Jamie great. Bell, Jamie Bell is a mini beast man. Yeah, he's a mini... We like Jamie Bell. We like Jamie Bell. We like Jamie Bell. Yeah. Um, he's hunky. Yeah. Uh, Chris Evans uh, has amazing beard. He's really impressive right? beard. Yeah. yeah. So cool. There's so many like, close-up so, shots. Yeah, we got to examine his beard in minute detail. You're into beard. It's pretty choice. I, <laughs> I have to admit to being um, uh, a Swinton disappointed at the, the main star of a crazy weirdo. Movie, like, oh, you're fully came What? Hold on. Hold on. Okay, Bill. Now repeat your sentence. No, I was just going to say, I was a little disappointed that the the, the star of a Korean-produced movie with all these different kinds of people in it had to be mm-hmm. a big lantern-jawed white guy, though. That was a little disappointing. Well, of course. Was fine for what he was but I doing. thought, are we spoiling? What's that? No, we're trying not to spoil. Spi- okay, oh, never mind. We I, I... But no, actually, there's there's something that happens at the end that kind of justifies him. Yeah, like, a little bit. Your thing, you kind of see I saw... going. I thought it was like it was kind of deliberate that it was a lantern jawed white guy because they were playing on the lantern jawed white guy trope. 
Yeah. Well, that's what you find I, out at the end. But still, well, when you're first I, watching the movie, it's like, well, this guy's actually kind of the least interesting character in this movie. Yeah. But, you know. I, but. I honestly got really excited to see the uh, the gentleman from The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. Yeah. The Weird. From yeah. That. He's, he's the best he's character so, in the whole movie. He was he's really so great. great. He's really great. Oh, he's so awesome. Like people trying to make Tilda Swinton look like a freak in all these movies these days. She can't you know, do a movie without being Tilda Swinton, eh. Tilda Swinton is she a weirdo. Just, she's a weirdo. <laughs> She'll just do it. She's the Christopher Walken of women. Have yep. you heard about this vampire movie that she's in with Christopher... What, what's his name? Tom Hiddleston? Where they play vampires I running around Detroit? I, you know why we don't give a shit? Because you said the word vampires. There's nothing saying, that's going to make me like, tune oh, out faster. Tilda Swinton anyway. is Oh, and is they, I guess they're hanging out with what's-his-face in this movie. Fucking Doctor Who guy. Alien guy. John Hurt? John Hurt, yeah. So I guess he plays Wait, an old vampire. how does John Hurt have anything to do with... He was in the 50s. He was in one episode of he Doctor Who. One which episode of Doctor Who. Means shit. that yeah, you exactly, should yeah. lead in any description of him <laughs> with Doctor Who. I was, like, I was like, that was really fun. I, like, even in tone, it has a kind of, like, bright, like, kind of, like, grotesque caricature cartooniness that's really yeah. like a post-apocalyptic story yeah but yeah no it was it was really yeah, nice no, it was a lot have of you fun. ever the... seen like the city of lost children or anything like yeah, that yeah yeah it yeah. was kind of like that kind of big kind of grotesque but fun kind of ridiculous yeah. kind of person i yeah. like seeing big like sci-fi movies and stuff mm-hmm. made mm-hmm. by people that aren't american filmmakers yeah yeah because it really, like, Children, or City of Lost Children is a really, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to forget his name, but really influential French filmmaker. Larry, yeah, it's, yeah. It's I love great. seeing Korean cinema is badass. Yeah. And does some really cool stuff, so. I just neat. loved, spoiler, slight spoiler, uh, the ridiculous, like, no one, like, just the ridiculous bloodbath that is that movie. <gasps> yeah. It was a lot of fun. I yeah. really enjoyed Snowpiercer. I think it's worthwhile to go see it. deaths in that movie. It it's was so good. Foley and I afterwards were talking about it. Our one complaint about the movie was that there are um, they don't quite play enough with the sense of um, claustrophobia. Oh of yeah, a yeah, train. Be on a train. I, yeah. I have super unrealistic expectations of what what melee should look like yeah. in the film, and they re- it really felt like it widened out. And well, they did quite consciously yeah. and like cartoonish. So, um, so I, and I had just gotten finished reading a, a book that you might actually like. Um, that's about uh, different. It's about three pivotal different battles, and one of the things that it talks about is in um, in this one um, particular medieval battle. So, like all melee weapons. Mm-hmm. How when they were crushed on each other and then they started trying to fight, they couldn't move. Yeah. So like if you had that many people shoved into a tiny hole, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Everyone just gets you wouldn't actually be able other. to do anything. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're like fighting with like pole axes and stuff that requires like a big yeah, rod, rod, like you know, so yeah, or fish. Movement. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if they were going to hit someone with the fish. It made yeah, it made for steps and slips on the fish. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were going to go somewhere very different with the fish. I thought like, uh. I it like that it was like uh, you know like uh, somehow the blood was poison or something. Yeah. Well, anyway, this, well, despite me complaining about all the white, well, not even all the white people, but the main hero being a big white guy, I did like the cast though. I like that the, yeah. the school teacher ends up being what's her face. It's a quick Scott Pilgrim reu- reunion. Oh, yeah, that was that was Allison Pill. Yeah, that was Allison Pill as the school teacher with the seriously. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious. That's kind of nice. Yeah. And well, that it, was it the was joke. A, it was a Lucas it was a Lee Lucas Lee movie. movie. Yeah, that's what we were joking about the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so this Snowpiercer actually takes as actually a product of the Scott Pilgrim of universe. The Scott Pilgrim universe. Yeah, it's I like very it. believable. Uh, yeah, Ed <laughs> it's, Harris and no, stuff it was and just kind of 
It was yeah. a beautiful, fun, oh. goofy action movie. And you yeah. got what's his face from train spotting as the guy who gets his arm frozen off. Which that's a great way to oh. add, like fuck up people. Yeah. 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 And oh, he man. got the help running around fucking yep. shit up. Yep. yep. Yeah, oh, man. No, that, like, the, 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 it was the, very satisfying watching her club people. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of great faces in that movie, too. Aside from yeah. the science fiction yeah. element and everything like that, that's oh, just man. like... The parkour yeah. dude? Oh, yeah. yeah. The one with the tattoos and when he's going to kill yeah. the guy. He has a t- tattooed on his arm, surrender or die, and he twists the yeah. from his offense. It was ridiculous. It was fucking ridiculous. It felt very much so. I believe it is based off a French comic, and it kind of felt like it in a good way. I think it kept that ridiculous, manic energy, and I thought it was just ridiculous fun. And as Jacob points out in our comments, it was a little on the nose. It was about as subtle as a brick to the head. But it was, (laughs) and I saw the ending coming a mile away. But it was quite enjoyable. It was like, quite enjoyable. There was that's polar bear. Most, most good post-apocalyptic movies are just kind of big. There's no subtext. Really. I mean, there might be some subtext, yeah. but it, they're big kind of big carnival movies. Of I mean, that's exactly. why people love the Mad Max movies so much, or at least the the, the, the later yeah. Mad Max movies, where it's you know, it's just good. It's just good dumb fun. It's like it's just smart as smart as it has to need to be, but it doesn't think it's any smarter than that. It's just like good yeah. dumb fun. I, yeah. I highly recommend Snowpiercer. That and Edge of Tomorrow. I would like more dumb fun sci-fi movies. It's, it's the one post-apocalyptic movie that kind of came closest in tone to uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome for me, which made me really happy. Especially I can, I can the way everyone's that. worshiping the engine and Wilford, the guy who 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 designed it, and man, uh, man, uh, manages the engine. It's just like Captain Walker with the crack in the Earth Kids from Thunderdome. I was like, yeah. oh man, He's, yeah. and that's the, that's totally home on homage to that. I don't, you cannot create a, a post apocalyptic movie like this and not have that be a conscious uh, homage. But another thing I liked about this is that it didn't really bother very much about making sense, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. We we live in the era of explaining bullshit to death in a way that's not terribly interesting. We live in the era of the post midichlorians era. I like that they're just like, you know what? It's a train. It's got a clock. Club car that's actually like a cl- full of club kids. It's just go with it. Well, it's one of those movies that's ridiculous, but not like in a way that's trying to take advantage of your, the potential st- stupidity of the audience. They're just no. taking for granted that you're you're just gonna roll with it, but without like exactly without leaning on that suspension of d- disbelief so hard to like yeah. squeak by and like really shitty like story choices or anything like that. Exactly. No, it's just fun. It's just a fun movie. Yeah. So in As summation, fun a movie about the destruction of humanity can be. Exactly. In yeah. summation, Snowpiercer was really fun. I like Bill, it. tell me about D and D slash Destiny. Oh, this question is me just mark? out. <laughs> no, this is the. Uh, so uh, this is gonna. We're we're probably not gonna have the Geek Week news and review this week just because we can if you keep it snappy, my friend. I keep going. I just said, but it has to go. Just in case we don't do that, I just wanted to bring up the fact that I didn't realize that there's a new. Uh, D&D 5th edition comes out this week, which I, I'm not really up on that, but this is the new version of D&D that uh, has, you, you, ha, you have characters of any kind of sexual bent or anything like that in the game. You always could. This cracks me up. In this, in this D&D edition, they always they explicitly have a section that say, have fun with genders. You can be whatever Did gender you and sexuality the, you want. see the character sheet from the previous edition where it says, choose your gender. It says male, and it says, seriously, you want to choose male? And female at the bottom was like, okay, well, if you really want to be female, but we're not going to... It actually said that on the checkbox. It said, well, okay. it says, quote-unquote, sigh, okay, be a straight female if you want, but that's kind of weird. Love the D&D guys. It is wonderful, wonderful that they put in text a, a thing saying, 
go ahead and be whatever gender you wish. Yeah. Be it male, female, or something else. No, but this is for some of the rule books. Whatever of it, but... sexuality, that's great. That's great. Yes. I'm just saying, I don't think that until this moment, no one has been gay. No, have like gone out of the way to support this. I mean, you no, could. Yeah, there's no reason why you I, can. It's this is very good. Well, that's the good thing about D and D you can always kind of take and break it and like reshape you it any way you want it to. The fuck you want. That's why if we do a D and D session anytime soon, Foley's going to be an owl bear. Yeah, because okay. who yeah. the fuck cares? Are the D and D police going to come and knock on my door and say, <laughs> "Actually, that is a monster. Oh, you cannot be a monster." Our one real big no. D and D experience was, was with Patrick Farley, who like we let us do what kind of whatever the fuck we wanted to, which is a great bless. introduction to that. Like. God bless Patrick Farley. Um, God bless. So this is me just th- saying that I'm going to have the starter set. It's going to be delivered to the house on Tuesday. So if if, you, if some of us wanted to get together and, and D&D sometimes, is all I'm saying. I, w- I want to have an actual DM yeah. is my thing. I want to have a DM who has experience DMing would be my my, my caveat. Well, hell, well, even Stephen Hines, he don't even have to do it remotely, too. So we'll figure out something. He did. But half the... F- and I, I love Stephen Hines. Do not get me wrong. But half the, f- the whole point of D&D is that you're sitting in a room with your friends. Yeah. That's literally the point. So, Bill, tell me what Destiny question mark oh, means. on the same tip. This is, uh, do you care at all about Destiny? Because the Destiny beta no. comes out this week. No. no. Oh, is it this week? Yeah. I thought it didn't come out until, did you say the Destiny beta? Yeah, the beta. The actual game doesn't oh. still come out until, like, the first week of September. Uh, yeah. This is me just asking if any listeners are actually going to be picking up the beta this week because I'd like to be, I'd like to play with people. What's your name on whatever system it's on? Uh, I think I'm Mr. Ed's on PlayStation 4. Okay. So everybody, go friend Bill. I'm pretty sure your your PlayStation account is on um, on our about page well, on at Podcast. I'm already friends with everyone who listens to this podcast, so it's not like they're having <laughs> to see me out. It's just a matter. This is me essentially telling our the, the the number of people who fit in the car who listen to this show. Just like, hey guys, want to play some Destiny this week? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And if you ever want to see that I'm not playing video games and just watching Amazon Prime or <laughs> only playing single player games that I don't want anyone to play with me with, then you can also friend me. I'm Foley Maloney. I still on think PSF. Foley would have a good time with this game. If you guys get really bored, you should, uh, if you pre order it and even just cancel it right after your pre order on Amazon, you get a beta code. So if you want to check it out, it's a first person shooter where you get to hang out, be social with other people, and cooperatively fight other monsters and stuff like that. And it's slow moving, so it's not like overwhelming. Or you guys always complain about like, I want. I wish there was a first person shooter where you could be more social and is more cooperative. This is it. I don't think I ever asked for a you, first person you, shooter that's like, more we social. Like Call of Duty, but we we wish we could just play with other people against instead of just against other people. That is true. I, there was more I do want component. more cooperative Your checklist stuff for first person shooters. I don't know. That's my checklist for couch co-op games. That does not mean I want a shooter MMO. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like shooters. I don't like most multiplayer games. This is well-traveled ground on this podcast. And essentially the rip-off of the Citadel is what I'm saying. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about how Boy Howdy is and always has been a time sink for Bill. A time sink for me in a lesser way, but I don't edit it. And a money sink. And so I was like, maybe we could do a Boy Howdy Patreon. And then I was thinking, what would our levels be? And I was like, well, maybe if we raised over X amount of money, I would actually play a goddamn multiplayer game. <laughs> That's the only what? thing I can think of. <laughs> and you would do it so begrudgingly and only for five minutes, yeah. too. Wouldn't it actually yeah. be worth anyone's money for no. you to do it? 
If I had fiscal obligation, maybe then I would have enough guilt, enough Catholic guilt. Maybe. Who knows? Probably Jesus not. Christ. <laughs> uh, Bill, tell me about Legend of Korra. Uh, Legend of Korra, you, you haven't watched any more of the second season? Nope. Uh, you should you should catch up because Legend this season Legend Core is actually shaping up to be pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. It's already it's, it's already like halfway done too because like I said they're showing two episodes per week and there's only like ten episodes per season so it's already burned through like half the episodes that they're gonna produce this year. Uh, yeah. this no huge spoilers but you should learn a hell of a lot more about Lin Bay Fong's family in, in this last two episodes. Yep. Do we get, learn her who her father is? Uh, there's. Toph, Toph had an interesting life. You don't find out who her father is, but you find out that uh, Toph had uh, babies with a couple different guys. That's right! <laughs> you mean Lin Beifong's half-sister. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Oh, that's rad. That makes so, me so happy. And uh, you find out actually Toph is still, still alive. You don't meet Toph again, but you just find out that like decades before Legend of Korra started... Uh, Toph just went off into the wild just to like seek enlightenment and has never come back and no one's seen her since. So <laughs> it's Yeah. And she just kinda like left abandoned character. her kids. She was like, you know, hey hey kids, I'm going out. I'm going out for a pack of cigarettes. I'll be back later. So Which that's that's totally fits in with everything we know about Toph. So no, but it yeah, does. no, uh it's a lot less focus on Cora being sad and mopey and making stupid decisions. And yeah, it's more about the focus of the group like focusing on the whole group dynamic and stuff and uh, the smart airbending kid, Tenzin's kid, she's got a boyfriend mm-hmm. now, and he's kind of, he's essentially Aladdin, except he's an airbender, and all kinds of shit. It's all, mm-hmm. it's cute. You should check it out, is all I'm saying. Mm. So, I will say this. If someone has a spare destiny code for beta. Yes. And you point it at me, Foley and I, I will swear right now, Foley and or I will play at least two hours. <laughs> That is my promise to you, the boy. How do you make? And like I said, you can get your own code if you just went to Amazon, just pre-order. No, any edition. I'm not gonna. Bill, I'm not gonna go so far as to authorize a credit card. If a if a code comes to me. I would play it. This is my challenge to the Boy Howdy Nation. Jacob here is saying that you get two extra codes and you pre-order. Really? So I'm sure you can find one. Yes, this is what Jacob's oh, saying. Well, so I'm just saying one of mine. Yeah, I would so. ideally, I would love to play with you guys and Conley, and I don't know, it could be a good time, at least for some. I'm sure game. it could. Yeah, but yeah, you get to hear Peter Dinklage. <laughs> the the, yes, the sounds apparently. of Peter Dinklage in your ear hole. Hey, everybody, we're gonna take a little break, and then we'll be back for the Geek Week in review. It's now time for the Geek Week interview. Did you know that the Millennium Falcon can also function as a time machine? Bill, that includes a link. Uh, <laughs> the, wait, I have the to go link back and read the show notes. The video Kevin Smith Star Wars Episode 7 t- set visit. So, this is just the thing. Uh, you probably didn't hear about this. Uh, Kevin no. Smith visited the Star Wars set. Uh, the, just, just, he. Uh, a couple days actually after he visited the Star Wars uh, set, he just had a great little. Uh, he, do you ever see these things where Kevin Smith will actually go at like a? 
he has talks and for like he, like people pay him money just to talk at them, which is really kind of I, weird. I know of this phenomenon. So yes. yeah, I guess it was kind of a Q and A thing. So he was just describing his time on the Star Wars set, specifically talk uh, his experience of going onto the Millennium Falcon and feeling like a ten year old kid and all this stuff. And it was just, it's uh, I know everyone's kind of hating on Kevin Smith these days that he's kind of a, just a stoner has been who can't get any movies made but just like kind of like gets gets stoned and makes podcasts but yeah his talk about the millennium falcon thing was actually kind of cool if you you know if you have five minutes of your spare time it was it was as a fellow star wars fan and just him just describing walking onto not just visiting the the outer millennium falcon set but the way he describes it makes it sound like they actually built the entire interior of the millennium falcon within that so you could actually walk up in the millennium rad. falcon and there's the cockpit yeah. and you know the, the chest set and all that stuff so that was just kind of cool I just thought that yeah. merited uh, mentioning on the podcast this week. That's pretty good. So, Frankenstein's comic book swap. So, friend of the podcast, Tim Goodyear, um, he's starting up a little miniature comic book convention called the yeah Frankenstein's comic book swap, which is going to be held here in Portland, Oregon, literally a block and a half away from my house uh, here at the Eagles Lodge on on uh, right by Fiftieth on Hawthorne in Southeast uh, Portland. Uh, it's going to be a bunch of uh, dealers and stuff like that. Like, like if you want to go just buy, like, cheap 25-cent back-issue comic books, this is the place to go. Mm. So That sounds adorable. And Tim Goodyear is a good is a good fella. Yeah, it's, it's so. uh, kids are super welcome. I think admission at the door is, like, a buck. It may be very tiny. Uh, this is the first uh, time he's ever tried to put anything like this on. And I get the feeling mm. that there might be only, like, maybe a dozen people selling comic books. And it's just going to be... It may not actually be, re- like, retail vendors. It may just be guys like us just, like, selling shit out of their basement. <laughs> but mm. I, don't know, I just kind of like the idea of just, like, a little comic book swap just happening just right around the corner from my house. So, And I actually was helping JoJo. JoJo filmed a little commercial for it, and I was helping him edit it. So I thought, man, what the hell? I'll, I'll, I'll pimp that stuff on the podcast. Good old Tim Goodyear. Yeah, if you like the comics, go swap some comics, huh? Yeah. AMC theaters are dropping 600 million smackers to replace most of the seats in its theaters with Lazy Boy-style reclining chairs. Which is fucking genius. I guess they caught on to the fact that, like, one of the things that's nice about watching movies at home, aside from the fact that your home and the bathroom's right there and you have to share it with other people, yes, yeah, like, like you know, you might have reclining seats and shit like that. And so, yeah, I don't know if it's all... Did I mention if it's all of their theaters? Uh, you just said most of, of the seats yeah, just like in t- ripping out most oh, most of the seats and replacing them with like uh, yeah, like Lazy Boy recliners. Which that's a great idea. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to help them sell any more tickets or anything like that, but that sounds nice. Well, there are all sorts of uh, more independent theater chains that are doing like yeah, like the premium well, seating and shit, and shit like, that. like yeah. that. And yeah, so, so I mean, it makes sense. You got to sell the experience for movies well, nowadays. That. I mean, that's one of the biggest movie chains in the country too. To think that yeah. like. All of their theaters are ripping out so many of their old chairs and replacing replacing them with recliners. That's just also it's that must be interesting nuts. because I'm sure they can only fit. They, they, they sh- I'm sure they can only fit less recliners in the same space right. as they could the old seats. So they're kind of they must be losing money that way in terms of like the number of seats they can sell. But Bill, I'm going to point this out though. The last time you saw a movie that wasn't like an opening night special movie sort of moment, yeah. Have you ever seen a full theater? <laughs> Have you ever seen a more than half full theater? Yeah. 
<laughs> it's like tumbleweeds in there, my friend. It's just yeah. me and the the mice watching the movies. And again, I nowadays. Tend to avoid going to the movies on opening day weekend. I think the last movie I saw on opening day weekend was like Star Trek last year, Star Trek in the yeah. Darkness, and that was actually people sitting in the aisles and stuff. Yeah, that was that was well, a yeah, that's too. what I'm, like there are event things. But that you know that's a big summer slammed, temple. But, but yeah, even like yeah. I saw a Lego movie like the Monday after it came out, and that theater was it was practically me and like three other people. So yes. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't go see a movie opening weekend, you may as well be going alone. It's mm-hmm. nuts. You don't it care about Planet of the Apes? No. Okay, that just came out this weekend. Just speaking of movies that just came out. And also... Uh, Mr. Urban World, commenter Mr. Urban World on our Google Hangout was talking about it. So I know all about it, Bill. No, I, 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 I'm I not a big fan of uh, What's-His-Butt. But you love James bears, Franco. but you hate monkeys. I don't get it. They're just big furry guys who like to fuck shit up. And You're right. Monkeys are guns. just weird, lanky bears. <laughs> You've got it, Bill. Uh, Destiny kind of Special like Editions. Did you know that Destiny Special Editions include a $99 Limited Edition and a $150 Ghost Edition? Bill didn't bother to include what's in those editions. He just put the dollars in the and names The Limited in Edition there. just has like extra booklets and shit like that. The uh, $150 Ghost Edition is pretty much just that, except with a $50 little cube with Peter Dinklage's voice that comes out of it. That you can put oh on your goodness. desk as like, a, as like a paperweight. Wow. It's motion activated though, so it only turns on when you scream at it or almost sit now. <laughs> sit on it. <laughs> Don't sit on me. I'm the ghost. It's <laughs> a really good Peter Dinklage when, impression. When your though. ass grazes its surface, that's what it says. That wizard came from the moon. Oh, because your butt is the moon. Yeah, I get it. It's a good joke, Bill. It's really good. I'm very proud of you. That's not, so, Andy, I'm just saying, if you throw it out a $100.50 pre-order... <laughs> and then cancel it immediately <laughs> so I get my pre-order. What kind of risk are you running there, exactly? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Levine uh, talked about on Twitter very briefly this week that uh, when he came out and was discussing a Bioshock game that was announced for Vita and then got in legal limbo and never came to be, that his hope was that it was going to be a Final Fantasy Tactics-style game set pre the fall of Rapture. Yeah, which would have been really cool. Yeah. Assuming it was designed well, yeah. I mean, the world of Rapture looks would work so well as an isometric game, which uh, the guy who's doing a Kickstarter for an adventure game called Static did a faux isometric Rapture sort of thing that looked astonishing. And it was just like, yes, scratch that Fallout 1 2 itch. Levine specifically calling out Final Fantasy Tactics made the picture in my head, it got it, of essentially Rapture is reimagined as like little Japanese chibi stuff. Or it would still be, like, kind of that look, but still, like, all the characters would be kind of stunted. It wouldn't be, like, super gritty and badass, but it would be kind of be, but, like, in a kind of cute Animal Crossing kind of way, which would even be cooler. <laughs> like, if you had, like, little chibi, like, big daddies and stuff, I mean, come on, that'd be yeah. awesome. Well, I guess it wouldn't Bill, have big daddies. there's because... your next copyright infringement print, my friend. I know, but still, it would be fantastic. Like, little... Oh, little splicer be... masks and everything, yeah. That, especially set in a pre-rapture world, that, that could have been great. The splicer masks can all be animal masks of Animal Crossing characters. So you can have, like, a, 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 a drugged-up murderer just like King Yeah, if you want to make it super edgy, you make it so the faces are actually look like they've been ripped off the animals and not just masks, like, the skins or something Bill, like that. Yeah. do you hear that? Do you hear Hot Topic calling us to license this <laughs> idea? <laughs> There's something about, like, the kind of, like, the grittiness of, like, Rapture and stuff like that. I kind of like the idea of having a cute bent to it, because if you do it just straight, like, Rapture, like... 
like uh, isometric style. It just kind of be after a while. It'd be like it, it'd be too gritty to want to live and play in after a while. And I kind You'd of be surprised, Bill. How many hundreds of hours have I spent? playing fallout i know but ah. and have you ever looked at an isometric game that's non that is not a fantasy rpg they're all gritty dystopian that's bullshit that, that, that's what that this thing that could have made this game unique if it was a fantasy tactic style just taking place in the rapture world is my counter argument to that from a financial and business perspective is that if you're already running your risk of the ip of doing a not well i don't know you can make a counter argument there i was gonna say if you make a non-traditional type of gameplay to then chase that with non-traditional uh, rendition of that setting could theoretically be driving away your audience even more but you can make the argument that your audience is already being driven away by the fact that it's not a shooter so you may as well double down uh, it's almost like that's exactly why it never got out of legal limbo <laughs> Jacob in the QA says he's already uh, PayPal'd Ken, v- Ken Levine several several payments of money to try to bribe him into making this game because he loves oh, really? Ken Levine's game so much <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, old Harry Potter at the Quidditch World Cup. Did Bill you continue actually read the short story notes. that came out? Fuck no. I'm, I, I, I've already <laughs> gone through my Harry that? Potter morning. Do you hate I'm not Potter gonna get that much? my long dormant Harry Potter boner all turgid <laughs> just for, like, a... A 700-word essay in, that, in which they, in passing, mention that Harry Potter is currently present at the World Cup. <laughs> it is not Annie, worth I, I getting you my to dick grow hard. a pair of testicles just so you could teabag your computer screen <laughs> while it's at the Pottermore home homepage. I'm just saying, that bonership has sailed, my friend. Uh, okay. I, am done, I have already wept my Harry Potter tears. No, that's it's fine. All, it's all. I, that I, day has passed. I honestly meant to try to read that before we recorded this week's podcast, just what had something to say about it but i just got distracted by other stuff so yeah that poor yeah. potter more site that i like uh didn't really like say she, she was pretty much done with potter she'd never write about him again it seems like she's just doing this to uh, as she, a promotional she, stunt just for the website well she never she said that she could see herself revisiting the potter universe but yeah, not but in maybe way like that a day people or two, would expect. but just like Oh yeah, who gives a fuck about Harry Potter at the World Cup? And then other people were upset. Who gives a fuck about Newt Scalmander? WB, they gave her like $80 billion to write those movies, Bill. Does it end with him just talking about how awesome the adventures of Newt Scalmander are and how he can't (laughs) wait for his new book slash movie merchandise to come out? Like, is that the... Boy, Uh, how handsome is that Newt Scalmander a hundred years ago? Ah, schnibby schnee. Bill, I'm going to throw this out here. If you create a website to extend the experience of your of your property in a way that will def- directly benefit you in a financial fashion, do you just sit there and go, "Why you want me to write more shit for the fucking website? I I made you a dinner. You want me to cut I up just, the steak for you too? Of course you're gonna cut up the steak." I know it's not me blowing the doors off of anyone's minds by suggesting like, "Oh my god, you think she wrote this Harry Potter thing just to help out the website?" It's not like. <laughs> Literally, literally the whole point of this website was to give you an extended, exclusive Harry Potter experience that was like part of the, with like writing that no one else has ever seen. That was part of the press release day one, my friend. Well, I like how half the fandom seemed to be pissed off because it was written by Rita Skeeter. And so it's all like bashing Harry Potter and his friends. The other half of it pissed off just because it's dredging up all the... 
uh, who got married and who got married to who that got people were pissed off to begin with at, at, at the at the original end of the original like uh, last Harry Potter book. People are still upset about that shit. Like the fact that like you know Ron and Harry, what was it? Ron and Hermione got hooked up, and people are still super fucking bitter about that shit. Dude, fandom wars are brutal. Yeah, but this is like seven years later and people are still like, fuck that Harry Potter. The older I get, the more grateful that I, the time I spent in fandom, not to say that I no longer spend time in fandom, but. No, but you're a lurker. As I have grown grown older, I have realized the value where what I want from a fandom is to have what I had in my youth, which is maybe four to five close friends with whom I share my enthusiasm. I am not interested in in having like my Tumblr be badged with my ships and affiliations or anything like that. Oh, did you I'm not going to start a Spotify account for my fanfiction soundtrack. I don't need to do any of that shit Speaking anymore. Speaking of Tumblr, did you hear about this DashCon? Oh my gosh. Yeah, y'all, if you have not heard about DashCon, highly recommend doing a Google search for DashCon it and sounds... the ridiculousness about it. At first, it's it, kind of funny, but the more you read about it, it's kind of you. It's kind of horrifying how fucked up this whole thing was. It's it's a rabbit hole. Of, are you kidding me? Just, uh, that was climax this morning with the notice that someone had urinated in the Dashcon ball pit. Do not play in the <laughs> Dashcon ball pit. Did you see what the Dashcon ball pit was? It's like a little kiddie pool filled with like like maybe about yeah. like 150 plastic balls. That's in a giant, like, yeah. a giant convention space. It was, like, intentionally designed Dashcon, to make it just seem as quiet and as depressing as possible. Dashcon was, it was intended to be a, a Tumblr con for Tumblr fandom in particular. A cross-fandom convention. Oof. It sounded ridiculous. One of the many things that it was uh, accused of doing is, or that it did, was that literally the day before the con, they claimed that the hotel was demanding $17,000 mm-hmm. or the con could not go. They raised the money for this climax with attendees singing "We Are the Champions" in one of the lobby. After being uh, when fleeced the hotel, of this seventeen thousand dollars, yeah, out of when out the of hotel the blue. was contacted, yeah. uh, they said, "What do you mean seventeen thousand dollars? We don't know what you're talking about." Yeah, and it's so I guess the DashCon uh, organizer said something about, "Well, maybe this is money for next year that we'll use or something like that." But it was the most <laughs> kind of like, "Well, we needed a down payment for next year's hotel stuff. That's what we Amazing. meant." Amazing. And, yeah, keep actually showing up on Friday to a convention, and you can't even get into your hotel room until you cough up. God knows how much. There, you essentially have to do like an impromptu Kickstarter in the lobby just so you can go upstairs and like take a shit in your hotel room. Like that's the just... other thing that got them a little notoriety is that a big thing that they did was they had the um, Welcome to the Night Vale folks yeah. uh, coming there to do a panel. They did not pay for their flight, hotel room, or anything like they claimed they would. And so the guys just were like, fuck it. Yeah, sounds like they dodged that bullet shit. Which I don't blame them, really. I feel bad for anyone attending this con, but, you know. Con, it is hard to throw a convention. Um and the larger they get, the more difficult they get to pull off effectively. My heart goes out to anybody, but this sounds really rickety. Well, also, even aside from that, it sounds like the attend. Oh, I think they were projecting like originally it was going to be six to seven thousand people showing up for this convention. They they projected two to three. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people on the show floor said it was more like uh, between five hundred and one thousand people. So. Although, imagine how much if it really was only a thousand people. Well, I guess if every person donates seventeen dollars that's their seventeen thousand dollars that they raised in that night but still it's fucked up man anyway so yeah dash con who the funk the original cast of alien is reuniting the original cast of alien is reuniting 
for Alien Isolation DLC. Unfortunately, it's pre-order DLC that's... Uh, well, it was announced as pre-order DLC. You can only get it if you pre-order. Was it? Oh, oh not only pre-order, but you have to pre-order through GameStop. They, which... they came out and said that it wouldn't be pre-order only. No, eventually, when people were you know up in arms about this, because well, also there's no way they're going to drop all this money hiring all these actual actors exactly. to be part of this DLC to make it GameStop exclusive DLC. That's yeah. fucking crazy. Uh, yeah. Which is kind of cool. I like the idea that he'd actually be playing as Ellen Ripley in, a, in an Alien game. Everyone says like yeah. even the uh, even the the participation of the original Alien actors aside, even if it didn't have this DLC, everyone's saying it seems like a really cool fucking game. So this is just icing it does. on the cake. It, it's it's kind of brilliant to do a horror a, a first person horror game set yeah. in an alien. I still universe. love the fact that you're just playing brilliant. as Ripley's daughter. That's just something about yeah. that just seems kind of cool. And the fact yeah. that you're intentionally going after that like '70s kind of Ridley Scott aesthetic too, which is kind of cool. But yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, well, did you see the other thing where GameStop is talking about? Uh, they're not only trying to ramp up their efforts to secure more uh, pre-order DLC stuff like this, but they're trying to work with game developers to secure GameStop exclusive gameplay. Not content, like bonus missions, but there would be basic things in games that you would not be able to do, like moves or power-ups that would yeah. be completely uh, exclusive. The only uh, GameStop exclusive ability to heal. Yeah, or so, but that's kind of what they're... It's, everyone's like, what? You like, want to jump in a Mario? That would be the kind of thing they're, 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 they're uh, anchoring for. So, that's not going to happen, but GameStop is pretty much a bunch of ballsy motherfuckers for even suggesting... Like, openly suggesting that they're going to do this. So, like, yeah. a, like an Assassin's Creed game where, like, you might only, like, you can only use, like, have, like, special things, like, you know, GameStop exclusive, like, poison darts or something like that, which is, that just even grotier, because at least, like, the, the expansion packs and DLC, like, you know, the, like, at least that self-contained missions that find, yeah. fuck it, whatever, GameStop, fuck you. And that's, again, that, all that stuff it's... always ends up becoming available to everyone else eventually. Beyond but... that, I guarantee you, Bill, <sighs> core gameplay would never be exclusive to a brick-and-mortar retailer. Well, I know, I that's what I'm saying. But that's, I mean, this is, more, this is more part of the death throes of GameStop. This is more a desperation move than anything This else. is going to be more like, oh, uh, sure, you can uh, smoke jump, sure. If you've got a game spy in a game that you don't fucking have to get smoke jump at hey, all. Nintendo, how, about, like... the, how about you put some uh, GameStop branded uh, fire flowers in this game. How about that? Huh? Maybe you uh, you shoot discount prices at the Goombas. <laughs> you shoot uh, used uh, Barbie's horse mansion. <laughs> <laughs> how about that? Uh, Catmull VFX animation wage fixing scandal. Oh, I only dropped this in because I didn't think we're actually going to talk about this this week. Uh, so Ed <laughs> Catmull, uh, he is one of the head guys of Pixar. He was mm-hmm. the one of Pixar's head tech guys. He was a guy who wrote mm-hmm. a lot of their software and stuff like that. Um, it's funny, actually, his son lives in, in Portland, and I actually bought a print of from Ed Catmull's son two years ago at, at, at Stumptown. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> Ed Catmull, one of the head guys of Pixar, also turns out that he's being uh, investigated by the government for wage-fixing scandals. Uh, supposedly, he worked with uh, Disney and a whole bunch of other companies to uh, wage-fix... Uh, people's salaries within both the both the visual effects and animation industries, hmm. and now the government's going after him because that is illegal as fuck. And they've already uh, depositioned George Lucas and a whole bunch of other people. And it sounds like Jeez. it sounds like this is this is not just a suspicion anymore. It sounds like this is a real thing that he was like Ed Catmull run, had run this whole thing of trying to drive down everyone's wages, essentially getting all the different uh, animation companies to agree not to pay their uh, their employees very much. So yeah. there, like, so there's no like 
like wage competition between the different companies. Supposedly, yeah. the only only studio that didn't really play ball with this was Sony, and so this week specifically came out uh, came to light that Ed Catmull is really out to destroy Sony Animation because they were they they they, they play they 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 paid their people whatever you know they the market dictated yeah. you know they weren't part of this whole price uh, wage fixing scandal so huh. yeah, I hadn't heard it's... about this until just like two weeks ago. It's all yeah. over Cartoon Brew, but I'm like, Jesus Christ, that, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. So. And Catmull is also like, he looks like you're, he looks like someone's uncle, like someone's sweet <laughs> uncle. Like, and it's like, sweet just goes to show, you never judge a book by its Wait, cover. I've never seen a picture be. of, what does Ed Catmull look like? How is it that I know what Ed Catmull Did you looks like? Did you know like, like Ed Catmull, uh, nude you, you literally just oh, watch yeah, anything like so, on like, Pixar. Can, yeah, he, he looks, looks like, like he should be really uncle. Yeah. Oh, of man. Course. So, Ed Catmull, evil supervillain of the animation industry. Sad. Oh, man, he has a Twitter account? Uh-oh. 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 He's going to get in trouble. Uh-oh. Oh, no oh, spaghettios. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Shitty. Anyway, it's yeah. almost like people can be shitty D-Bags. And tell us all about this next thing, which we haven't already talked about. In summation, rest in peace, Dickie Jones, the oh, voice Oh, no, we're going to skip Pinocchio. over. We're not going to talk about any more sexual fluidity of Dungeons & Dragons. Because we literally already talked about it. Can and you, why would can I you bring be a person who is other kin in Guys, Dungeons & Dragons where you think you're a dragon, but you're not? And good everyone news. just thinks you're nuts? The game where you already were a gay dragon, you can officially be a gay dragon. It says so in the paper. Gay dragon, copyright. I, like I said, I'm, I'm not, please know that I am not slamming this. I think this is important. No. And it is valid, and it is rad that they did this, and that they not only opened it to heterosexuality and homosexuality, but to explicitly to the whole range of sexualities, like even right up to asexuality, was awesome and bully to them, and in something that's as much of a boys club as Dungeons and Dragons, that's really cool. So what you're that's saying, your cool. reaction to this is like everyone's reaction when like Tennessee finally like repeals its like anti-butt-fucking laws in like like you know 20, like 2009 or something like that, where it's like, why was that ever allowed to begin with? Like, who cares? Like, that's completely irrelevant now, yeah. Well, there's a thread of me where it's like telling, it was really like the wording of it i totally get what they're going for but they're like you know you don't have to be a straight white elf <laughs> did, did you know you could did be you know? no, no, it's more like it's like you don't have to be a straight white human did you know i can already see like the magazine be... advertisements did you know a gender queer dwarf i'm just <laughs> saying did the you know you can actually make you, shit up in this game that's been around for 30 <laughs> years <laughs> where it's like did you know you can use your imagination and, I, 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 and here's the thing I'm being a dick because this is great and they go like you can be like a lady dwarf who has a beard and, and like think about playing with gender and gender expectations and you're in the cultures it's awesome I'm being a total jerk about this this is a good thing I'm being a jerk Annie, I'm just saying not all gelatinous cubes <laughs> Hey, you know what? You know what's most important? This weekend, sadly, I did not go to GamerX. I'm kicking myself if I did not go to GamerX. This weekend was GamerX down in San Francisco, the gay yeah, gaming con. Yeah, about that, yeah. This is its second iteration, and unfortunately its last. Big bummer. Um, I did not go. But one of the things that was announced this weekend, I'm like, so excited about this, is that the Iron Bull from Dragon Age Inquisition is pansexual. Come to Mama. Oh, really? For whatever iteration of Mama... Mama's coming for the Amble. Oh, I'm very no. excited about my future giant beast boyfriend. Um, pretty thrilled about that. Uh, yeah. Did you That's see the ball pit in Gamer X? 
<laughs> oh, it was a fucking good pun. No, I, I, actually, I didn't realize that could actually be a double entendre. But I was just gonna say. Yeah, I just, so I just like the though. idea that they would actually run into like an Olympic-sized swimming pool filled with like, all, like it's like it's it's like their version of the two hundred fifty dollars of pudding sketch. But like, oh yeah, <laughs> we give you the like real that. ball pit here at Gamer X. So, Bill, tell me, Dickie Jones, the voice of Pinocchio, what did Dickie Jones do after Dickie Jones voiced Pinocchio? You know what? He was, like, in a bunch of westerns and stuff. It seems like he kind of retired from acting. I didn't realize the kid from... A, I did not realize the guy who did the voice of Pinocchio was still alive. B, yeah. I didn't realize he did anything other than be the voice of Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what the terrible... Th- uh, the, the irony is that uh, he died... Uh, he was sold to the salt mines when when shortly after the <laughs> making of Pinocchio. They just found his corpse just last week. Mm-hmm. It had, he actually like, died of a fall. Oh, really? You asshole. In the yes. salt mines. His skeleton had little donkey ears. It was the saddest thing. He had a little skeleton cricket next to him. It was, had uh-huh. little, little boots, little little spats. It was the saddest thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh-huh. Trying to make light of the, yeah. this death of this elderly man. Yes. <laughs> that brought joy <laughs> to millions when he was like six. <laughs> Oh, Billy. Also, his name is oh, Jones. Billy Bear. Oh, you know what I didn't realize? That's also the name of the bad guy in Robocop. Dick Jones. <laughs> it's a, a really cartoonishly, like, normal name. Like, you know. Annie. Richard you, Jones. When, <laughs> it's like, Annie, it's when, a, like a... Can you change the name of characters in, in, uh, in, uh, Dragon Age? You, they, you can name your character. You can't change the name of pansexual Iron Bull. His name can't be Dickie Jones now. Sadly, no, but I will... You know what, Bill? I can use my imagination <laughs> to imagine <laughs> whatever I want. <laughs> Did you know that in your mind, you could be anything? You don't have to be a straight white male! Did you know? <laughs> sad. It is so sad to me that you have to say that out loud. Power to a bless, bless. See, but, well, I, you was know watching, what? I was watching uh, Snowpiercer. I just put on brown sunglasses so everyone just seemed like a minority <laughs> and it just improved that film so much. So, you know, I can make fun all I want, but when I went to go see this production of Two General of Verona, one thing that I was struggling with was my own internalized misogyny a lot during that show. Yeah, how because so? the the show was really um, femi, like really femi, because the whole point of the production was that it was an all-female production, and so they made everything very feminine. So all oh, the men's really? costumes... Oh, really? So it wasn't like, they didn't take, like, they didn't, like, play up kind of, like, the kind of the butch, kind of fun, kind of gender queer no. kind of stuff? It was not, like, a drag king thing. Oh, I was it was very that's much kind of what so. they could have done with it. Not and it was, that's well, the only I mean, way you could do an all-female production of anything, but... It was an interesting take, and it made it this very focalized feminine thing that I really focalized. A focused feminine thing that I thought was really interesting. But the whole time, my, because I am a very, I'm a person who's has been hardwired to think like a straight white male. The whole time I was like, this is kind of femi. This is a uh, pretty girly bullshit. It's, uh, uh, gay. I don't like I don't it. Know, it's so weird. I don't like it. I wish uh, these girl boys would butcher. <laughs> You know, that's what I was thinking the whole you know, time. I mean, that's, 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 you're totally wrong. You're not wrong no, for thinking No, it's, that. it's my own druthers, but it was totally my internalized misogyny well, coming out that money, I was like, oh. Was it like, like everyone like being, is everything being bought and sold like tampons or something like that? Like. Yes. Everything's the set's pink. <laughs> yes. It's just. Actually, the set was pink. <laughs> so there you go. Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> Jesus hey everybody, Christ. did you know that just for a hundred tampons a month, the Boy Howdy <laughs> Patreon, Annie will log on and then log off of a multiplayer server for a game? Annie will show up, not even turn on voice chat, <laughs> kind of for 
pretend to kind of like move the gun towards the wall and then disconnect 45 minutes later. <laughs> and you can say what? And it will, and it will be the dot slash dot com dash con of destiny. Well, I showed up. Give me another $17,000 and I'll stick around for maybe another half hour. I don't know what's going on. Everybody, this is the Boy Howdy Podcast. We're boyhowdypodcast.com at boyhowdypodcast on Twitter. Howdy at boyhowdypodcast.com is where you can holler at us. Bill is at Mudrin. I am at Spinuti. You can give us a holler. Uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes and tell everybody how terrible we are. We are uh, terrible. We talk to y'all. The worst. It's the worst. The worst. I spent a lot of our drive listening to my brother, my brother and me, which is a good, funny podcast. And the whole time I was like, oh god, our podcast is the worst. I'm gonna go set our podcast on fire. We'll talk to y'all next week. Take care, guys. Bye! Kaboosh! Flames on the side of my face. <laughs> so good.